Sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, be glorified. Anoint this people that people on the outside see that Jesus Christ has transformed us. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the promise of your return. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So as you know, if you were here last week, we are doing a series to train you how to kill a church. Many of you already know this stuff, so this is just a reviewer course. So last week, if you remember, what was the imperative if you want to kill a church? Do nothing. If there is no activity, then you have atrophy. You have death. If you do nothing, you die. And that goes on an individual basis and then, and then also on a corporate level. This one is one that we don't really like to talk about too much and, and we'll, just, we'll explore that a little bit. And it's give nothing. If you go to the first, if we go to the first icon here, I'm sure you will recognize this icon. What is this icon? Apple. I remember a few years ago when ExxonMobil was the wealthiest or the, the company that was worth the most amount of money was overtaken by Apple. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Steve Jobs really got his start with a, a little company in the 70s called Atari. Did anybody in here have an Atari system? So, you remember the 2600? I loved Atari because you had one, one joystick and one button. Nowadays, you have to use your toes to, with this thing. If you've ever seen the video games, I mean, they have like seven different joysticks. I don't know how they have enough fingers to make it all happen. But you had this, and boom, 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 asteroid. I just shoot the asteroid. Or space invaders. He worked as an engineer for Atari. Now, most of you probably do not know the founder of Atari, but his name was Nolan, does anybody know? Bushnell, who said that? Nice. So Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari, was approached by Steve Jobs in 1976, and he says, I am asking you, I'm starting this business with this, uh, with this new guy, my friend Steve, and, um, and, we're, and we built this thing called a computer. If you invest $50,000 into it, 
we'll give you a third of the company. A third of the company for $50,000. Well, in 1976, he said, well, $50,000 is quite a bit, and I don't really see that much happening with your company. You've, you've put this thing together, and I just don't see the promise. I don't see the reward. Well, Bushnell was, uh, was interviewed years, years later, and he was asked, what is the biggest mistake you've ever made in your life? And he, without a beat, I did not invest in Apple, which the first quarter of this year, 2018, it was estimated to be worth $910 billion. billion. They are believed to be the first company that will be worth $1 trillion. And he could kick himself. Boo. No invest, no reward. This one is not as prominent as that one, but I don't know if you know. Does anybody remember this one? Bell, okay, that's pretty obvious. It is a bell. Yeah, Illinois Bell, but, but everyone. We had an Ohio Bell where I'm from. I'm sure everybody had a bell. Well, I don't know if, who, so who was the inventor of the telephone? Graham Bell, hence the name Bell. Well, I don't know if you know this, but in this history, when he, when he made this, the, his first telephone, and then patented it, he went to Western Union, who was the, they were the, the leader in communications back in the 1800s. Because they had a thing called the telegraph. They, had, they, they could send out communication to people faster than anybody. So he approached Western Union and he said, I believe this is the future. And I want to offer my patent to you for $100,000. $100,000 is a lot of money in 1870s. And Western Union, they thought over it, and they said, we're going to pass. I just really don't think that, that people are going to be talking through a wire to each other. We're going to stick with what we have that's proven. So they passed on him. Within months, they knew they had made a mistake. Alexander, the Bell companies started raking in money the first couple years. So what they ended up doing is they tried to, they said, this is what we're going to do. We made a mistake. We're, we are going to hire Thomas Edison to invent something for us that's pretty similar. And they did it. But Bell said, nope, you're not going to get away with this. So they went through this court case and Bell won. And Western Union had to drop the telephone industry. No invest, no reward. I don't know if you know this, but here's a couple of statistics in, the, in Scripture. 16, and if you look in your, in your notes, here's, here's some of this. 16... 
Out of 38 parables that Jesus tells, nearly 40, 16 out of them deal with possessions and money. That's nearly half. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels is about possessions or money. More than 2,000 in the scriptures, and there's 23,000 plus in the, in the whole entire scriptures. Over 2,000 of them have to deal with possession and money. It is believed by some that this is the most talked about topic. There is more about money than about prayer and faith. So for, for me, if Jesus made this a topic that he talked about so much, why do we shy so far away from it? I wonder if this topic has become taboo in our language. I mean, let's be honest. Would you feel comfortable if I asked you individually how much you make? Anna's cousin, a few years ago, had an offering call. And it was funny. He, he just had these, these pieces of paper with just writing on them. He got them out of his recycling bin or whatever. And he said, and he said for the offering call, he said, I want you to know what I have here. I have what every one of you has given for this last year. And, you, you, you know, people, you know, if they weren't listening, oh, they were listening now. They were listening now. And he says, I have what every one of you. And he asked, how many of you would be embarrassed if I shared this? Now, you know that's not, we're not allowed to do that. <laughs> and he knew that we weren't allowed to do that. But he said, how many would, of you would be embarrassed if I shared this? And he said, obviously, this is not. But he said, that shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be. Um, but it's sad to say, sometimes it is. You know, the, the struggle with money, I, I do wonder if, if we see money as a blessing, which it is a blessing, or if we see it as a necessary evil or a curse, which at times it can be a curse too, right? The first verse that we'll read, and you all know this verse, if you've heard it, at least the first part of it, in 1 Timothy 6, it says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, or all evil. You know this. The love of money is the root of all evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I have actually heard it incorrectly. Money is the root of all evil. That is not correct. Actually, in the Greek, it is only one word. It isn't saying, it, it isn't separate words. It's one word, and it has to mean the love of money or the trust of money, the, the intimacy with money, meaning that you will never want to let it go, is the root of all evil. And that word evil 
is different than what usually is used. So the, 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 word in, uh, the Greek word that is usually used for evil, translated evil, is paneros, where we probably get panera from. No, I'm just joking. Oh. <laughs> they're evil. No, they are really good. I, I used to work for panera, so they're really good. But, uh, to, but now you'll remember, paneros. Huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so paneros is the word that is normally used. But this one is kakos. Can you say kakos? And you know where the etymology, where they believe this word comes from? Kaka. Kaka. And even if you're not Hispanic, you know what kaka means. And it literally means to defecate. And they believe that the word kakos came from kaka. And in the Greek, he's saying, the love of money is the root of kaka. <laughs> is the beginning of kaka. And, and what it's translated is, is something that is rotten or gone bad or decaying. And he's saying, if you trust in money as your main thing to trust in, it is like a pile of decaying stuff. Actually, you know that that's really the root of the 10th commandment. The 10th commandment says, you shall not covet what your neighbor has, which means you are not happy with what you have. So you want what that person has because they have a better life than you, whether it's their wife or their husband or the things that they have. And he says, if you really want to know true happiness, you don't trust those things. But if you are going to trust them, you will be unhappy, which will lead to murder and lying and stealing. That's why it is the root of kaka. I just want to say one more time. And if you read 1 Timothy 6, if you read on, it says this in, in verse 17 through 19. So command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Again, it's decaying, it's dying. Don't put your hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. So if you want to be rich, you're rich in what? Good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may hold they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So you're rich in good deeds and be generous. You want to know an irony in life? I feel that rich people, in my experience, my little experience, have the toughest time in being generous. When I was in college, I 
was a pizza delivery guy for Pizza Hut. And it was probably, it was my second job that I ever had. And I was a pizza delivery guy. And so our area that, we deliver, that I delivered to was primarily, probably about two-thirds of it was fairly wealthy. But then there was a section of Perrysburg, Ohio, where there, was, there were like trailer parks and stuff, and they weren't, you know, as wealthy. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, if you've ever been tipped. But when I would go to the trailer parks and stuff, they would, in the 90s, they would sometimes give me a $5, $10 tip. They were super generous. You know, their pizza costs 10 bucks. They give me a 20 and say, just keep it. But when I went to the big homes with the big pocketbooks, there were countless times where I'd get stiffed, where they wouldn't tip. Or, they'd, or it would be 10.99, and they'd say, I'd give them their change, and they'd say, well, keep the penny. <laughs> right at you. Come on. And I was like, oh. You know, it's hard for people to be generous. It's not natural. You know that. You know that if you watch kids, it's not natural to share what you have. There was a, at my home church, uh, I loved the ministry that this lady had. I don't even remember her name. You know, it was when I was in college. Well, she was a new convert to Christianity and Adventism. And she said, I'm going to do a ministry to this community that was very low income. And what she would do is she, she bought all the crafts herself. She, she wasn't high income either. She was, but she would buy all the crafts herself and she would give them to them. And she said, but we have one stipulation. You cannot, we're going to work on these, you cannot keep the craft. You have to give it to the community people, the, old, the elderly that are in the community. Well, you know, the first few weeks, it was like pulling teeth. No, that doesn't belong to you. That doesn't belong to you. And some of the kids, especially, you know, they, they would fight with her. And she said, then we're not going to do crafts. So finally, they started doing crafts. And they, they started begrudgingly giving. Ugh. You know, they probably hold it for about three seconds as the, as the elderly person can't even hold on, you know, trying to keep their teeth in. And, the, and they're... And finally, oh, thank you, young man who wanted to keep this. <laughs> and she said after about six months, something changed. And she would bring stuff for them. And you know what she found out? She couldn't make them keep it. She couldn't make them keep it. They would give it immediately. They would run and give it to somebody else. And she said, no, 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 this one I actually want you to keep, and it would be gone. They wouldn't keep it. They were trained to be givers, but it's not natural. See, the, the thing is, is that the struggle of money is the struggle of trust. And I wonder if at times we trust like Bushnell did 
and what Western Union did a long time ago. We would like to give, but I don't know if there's going to be rewards with what's coming. How's it going to benefit me? And if it doesn't benefit me enough, it's really not worth it to give to you. I want to say it's way worth it. The rewards are endless. I, I know I've probably told you this story, and if I have, forgive me. When I was at Southern Adventist University, I had been there a couple of months, and a tornado went through and wiped out a house that was a local house, and the church collected and said, uh, we want to give, because they had nothing. This family had nothing. And I was a college student. My dad, when I transferred to Southern Adventist University from my school, because I had free tuition where I was going, my dad said, I will give you $4,000. Now, I love my parents. Believe me, I love my parents. I'm not saying that, I, I, what they've done for me. But he said, because you're giving up free tuition, I will give you $4,000 a year. Now, you know tu tuition at Southern and room and board costs a little bit more than $4,000. I was living off of some student loans, and I was working a part-time job making minimum wage. So you know I wasn't making much. And I said, oh, you know, I'd probably like to give, but I don't know. Uh, by Monday, the Lord had pressed on my heart, you can give. That I gave, and this is glory to the Lord, I gave 50 bucks. I gave 50 bucks, and I was like, you know, I probably could even give more. But I gave 50 bucks, and I just turned it in to the church Monday morning. By Monday afternoon, I received a call from the financial department. And they said, uh, Mr. Rufo, we have, it's so strange, we have $750 in your name that did not come from financial aid, the student loan, or any family. We don't know where this money came from. I knew where it came from. I hung up, got on my knees, and praised the Lord. Amen. No invest, no rewards. But if you invest, the Lord wants to reward you. Amen. He doesn't need your money, by the way. God does not need your money. He owns a thousand cattle, right? On hills. He doesn't need your money. He is asking that you trust him. He's saying, I am wealthier than Apple. You invest a little bit, and I will take you to a new level. In Matthew uh, chapter 6, it says this, verse 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves, I'm going to say, cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there 
will be your heart also. Growing up in the 80s, this is, this is pre, do you remember the, well, I've talked to Tom about this before. Remember the 1987 crash? I was 12 years old. You don't think about the stock market when you're 12 years old. I did. Because my dad invested in the stock market. So you know what every day he would make us do is check the Dow. We knew what the, we knew what the Dow was. You know, my brother is four years younger. At eight years old, he knew what the Dow was. He's like, oh, let's check it. So we would check, and you would see my dad's emotions like every day. Whoop, whoa, whoop, whoa. And then in 87, whoa. You, he was so invested with his heart because he had invested with his money and vice versa. He knew what it was about. He started learning about what he invested in. And somehow he was connected with it in his heart. And I wonder if the same thing happens, if the way we're designed is that if you invest in something, you actually give them a part of your heart. I mean, we do this in in relationships, right? You invest in a relationship, you actually give them part of your heart. And God is saying that, that's all I want is actually part of your heart. I really sort of could care less about the money because I could easily do this way better than you. You know? You're giving me a penny? I could do better. But he's saying, no, I want to take it and I want to multiply it because I want your heart. I want your heart. And he wants to bless you know, I, I want to share this text, and I, I'm sorry if I'm taking a little long, but I want to share this with you uh, because I think it's such a cool story. If you go to Exodus chapter 36, and I really, in my dreams, I wish that we could get to this point. Exodus chapter 36, and hopefully you remember this. And it starts with verse 1. So Bazalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses summoned Bazalel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of the, constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen were doing all the work on the sanctuary, left, the work, left their work, and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord had commanded, that, uh, commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order... And they sent word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they, what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Could you imagine the people at offering call 
So norm was today, stop giving. Stop giving. We have too much. Don't give anymore. Please. They kept giving and giving and giving and giving to the point that Moses said, stop your giving. Could you imagine a day where the Downers Grove Seventh-day Adventist Church said, stop giving? We, I don't know what we'll do with all this. But it did happen. Maybe we could buy buses and build gymnasiums and, and become more mission capable. You know, build a, a community service center. Stop giving. I'm not saying that. That's what he said. But maybe ideally we could get to that point where people are giving their hearts to a ministry. I do wonder, sorry, I keep going on these tangents, but when, when I was at Arlington, we, did it, we, we were reading some of the statistics and giving, how they've changed over these last few generations. You used to have just people that were compelled givers. They would give, 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 give. It didn't matter what, they just, we have to give, we have to give, we have to give. And the church has lived on that. Within the last about 15 years, it has changed that people are project givers. It's, we've had this big shift. So the young people like Kathy's age are project givers. I'm not saying you, but, but that's the new generation is that they want to know that what they're doing is actually doing something. And I wonder if that's why we aren't at the point of saying stop giving. Because collectively, not saying at Downers Grove, but as a bigger entity, we've just said, put into this pot, and we haven't proven that we're doing something with it. We're not transforming the lives that need to be transformed with it. Because if people see lives transformed, they will invest. That's why we invest in mission trips. Because you actually see something happen. Well, maybe that's what we, that's our charge. That's mine as part of this leadership here is how do we make it so that we have something to invest in? Because I do believe that there are people that are willing to give their hearts to it, their money. So maybe it's on both sides. And that's what the Lord's saying. Give them something to invest in. I'll go through this quickly. You know, ironically, the people that are praised here, you can go through these sort of quickly back there. The widow's might. The second is the good Samaritan. And the third is the centurion. I don't know if you remember the centurion who gave. And they said, please heal his kid because he's given to the sanctuary. He's helped build this sanctuary. He was a Gentile. The good Samaritan was the only one. He didn't just say, I'm going to pay for the for your hotel. You know, remember he cleans this guy up and he says, I'm going to pay for the hotel. But do you remember what he says at the very end? Anything this guy needs, I'm coming back and I'll pay that bill. Whatever it takes, I'm going to invest. Do you remember Jesus rebukes the, the Jews and he says, you know, in the Old Testament, when you're talking about Elijah, do you know who Elijah, who he mentions the story? The widow of Seraphath. 
the woman who was in, in an idolatrous country was the one who gave the, the last meal but was rewarded all the way through the drought. I hope that we are not the ones that are outgiven because there's a lot of charities out there where people are getting because people are giving. Their hearts are in those charities. Let's be an organization that transforms our community. The last couple of verses, this one is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give and, and not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Proverbs 11 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person could prosper. Prosper, is that what it says? A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You, if you give, you will prosper. And it says not by compulsion. You don't give because you are forced to. Because again, God doesn't need your money. But he says, I want to bless you. So invest here. Give me your heart. And I'm going to take you to levels that you, can never, you could never imagine. Not just financially. In every area of your life. I truly believe this. That if you give him your heart. And that even deals with your dollar. Or your Benjamins. That... He will bless your relationships. He will bless your pocketbooks. He will bless your other ministries. You will see him bless you in a different way. So that is my challenge to you. It is not to make you feel guilty about what you've given or not given before. It is not to make you feel forced to give because you should not. But my challenge is, for us as a community, let's make this a community that people know that they're transforming lives to give. But then to those of you that are givers, I'm challenging you. Trust him. And let him see, you, see your life be blessed. Amen. Mm -hmm.